available at all of the corners. Now would be a good time to grab one. And this morning we're going to be reading from Luke 15, verses 1 to 10. So that starts on page 59 in the second set of page numbers. Luke 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. So Pastor Chelsea mentioned last week that if you follow along in the lectionary, you'll know that we actually switched last week and this week. Um because of she had already kind of written that sermon for the seminary, and so it just made sense. But the beauty is, is that this passage then falls on the fourth Sunday for us when we do communion. And that is perfect, because as we see in this scripture, it all starts at a table. It's hard to see, but it talks about how Jesus is eating with them. And that's their complaint. They are grumbling and saying, Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now in the context that they are coming from, it's not unordinary for wealthy patrons to offer food to some of the poor, to some of the sinners, to some of the people that Jesus was caring for. But they wouldn't welcome them and they wouldn't eat with them. It would have been one of their servants who did that. If you are a respectable person, you do not eat with those whom society considered unrespectable. And yet, that's what Jesus is doing. He's not just saying, I'm going to provide some food for you. You can go over there and eat it. But he's saying, I am going to welcome you myself, and then I'm going to sit down with you and eat with you. 
And that's what they're complaining about. That's what they're saying. Jesus, you're not supposed to do this. So then he tells them a parable. And for me, that word parable is always kind of like a bit of an alarm bell of parables are a little bit crazy. (laughs) Because there's beautiful imagery and they tell this wonderful story but they're also confusing. And not just for us. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus' disciples and those listening to him, they often didn't understand the parables perfectly either. And yet, this is still how Jesus chooses to communicate. So he's been accused of bad table fellowship, which was not good. Super social taboo at that time. So then he tells these two stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin. We know that if you read further, you'll see he also tells the story of the lost sons. But this morning, we're just going to focus on those first two. And he flips it around on them. And that's where we get into this kind of mess of parables of do we understand the shepherd as Jesus? Do we understand us as the shepherd? And so we're just, bear with me, we're going to kind of feel our way through it and see what the Spirit says. But they're complaining about Jesus. So he says to them, which one of you having sheep... And right there, I know to us that doesn't really feel like an insult, but that's kind of an insult. He's just kind of like throwing it down with them. Because these are people who would not have sheep. Or if they did, like, they would not interact with their sheep. They would have servants who would do it. But he's saying, if you had sheep and one was lost, which one of you would not go after it? So right there we see that there's this challenge of there is this mindset that the Pharisees and the scribes are coming with that Jesus is trying to break down. There's these societal divisions. There's these understandings of right and wrong, holy and unholy, that Jesus is saying, I'm kind of erasing those. These shepherds, that you think are some of the lowliest of society, they have something to teach us. So put yourself in their place for a moment. So then he tells the story of finding this one that is lost. Of searching for it until you find it. It's not this half-hearted, just kind of like search in the immediate area, walking 10 minutes and coming back. Like they seek until they find it. And then the rejoicing is immediate. One of the commentaries I was reading through this week talks about how sheep behave. And they said, that it's not like the shepherd finds the sheep and then they just happily walk back with the sheep kind of prancing along behind. No, sheep will lay down and refuse to move. And the shepherd would have known that. So when the shepherd comes up to the sheep, he knows he's going to have to carry that thing 
all the way back. He knows the hard work that is involved in restoring this sheep to its flock. And yet at that moment, he rejoices. I reflected on that quite a bit this week. There were two parts for me that really struck me. The first was the behavior of the sheep. Of this stubbornness. Not necessarily intentional. I don't think any... I, I don't know the intelligence level of sheep. But if sheep, <laughs> if sheep thought the way we thought, I don't think that sheep is necessarily wanting to complicate the shepherd's life. And I certainly don't think any sheep, if it understood where it was, would want to stay out in the wilderness alone. And yet its natural instinct is to lay down and not be budged is to make its restoration harder for the shepherd. Now we can interpret this parable, again, a couple different ways. So it could refer to those who do not yet know Jesus at all. And I think we can see that sometimes in our conversations with them. Of that, I know quite a few people in my own life who are just not ready to receive anything about Jesus. They do not want to budge in his direction. But the sheep also that is lost started as a member of the flock. The shepherd missed it because when he's doing his count, it is no longer there. It has gotten lost along the way. And I think that's us sometimes. And goodness knows, I can look back on my life and see those times that I was like, oh yeah, (laughs) I just laid down and was not moving. Jesus had come and said like, I've got something great. I want to restore you. And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm sure you do. I want to be back in my family. I want to be back in community. I want to be restored But I'm exhausted, I'm overwhelmed, I'm scared. Sometimes I'm angry, I don't like what I think God is calling me to. There are all of these things that I think sometimes we have lost sight of God. And when he comes by and says, here, I'm going to restore you, we freeze and we just stay there. But it doesn't matter that we're not willing. I loved that line in the very first song we sang that said, Therefore, by your Holy Spirit, you assure me of eternal life and make me ready and willing. We don't have to be ready and willing on our own. God knows when he comes to seek us, sometimes we're not ready. We might want it, but we're just, we can't take those steps with him yet. But the Holy Spirit will make us ready and willing. God, the shepherd, 
will rejoice about having found us, about being in our presence. And then he picks us up and puts us on his shoulder and carries us back to community. When I was in middle school, um, it was that great age where there was lots of songs and poems and Christian art and all these things coming out to try and, you know, help you experience God in a new way. And I, at that time, was obsessed with that poem, Footprints in the Sand. I don't know if any of you know it. But it talks about how this man had a dream where he was walking along a beach. And it's him and God walking. And there are times where there's only one set of footprints. And he's like, God, why did you leave me? And God's like, no. It's at those times that I was carrying you. And for where I was in my faith at that time, that was such a beautiful picture. How often are we aware that we're stuck? That we are that sheep that is curled up on the ground, not being willing to move, and we're a little bit afraid that God might just keep going without us. We're a little afraid that if we don't get our act together, the Christian community is going to pass us by. We're going to be left behind, and we're never going to find our way back. Or to look at it from the other way, how many of us know someone who is seeking God but hasn't yet found that pure relationship? And we're worried about the time. Or we're exhausted from the work that goes into helping someone find God. Because it's not an easy journey. But here, we find hope. Because Jesus' table is not just for those who have it all figured out. Jesus' table is not for those whom society says, these are the elite. It's not who the church looks at and says, these are your top Christians. They have it figured out, they are living as God wants. Jesus says, my table is for everyone. And if you are part of my flock and you get lost, I'm going to work to come and find you. Because that second parable of the lost coin, it's a lot shorter and there's less detail. But the one thing that really stands out is the work this woman goes through to find that coin. It's not just a quick glance around the house and then hoping you'll find it some other day. She is lighting lamps. She is sweeping the house. She is searching Every corner, just like the shepherd searched until he found the sheep. That is how much our God loves us and will seek us no matter where we've wandered off to. 
And that is a beautiful, beautiful promise. But it's also a challenge. Because these Pharisees and these scribes, he's speaking to them. He's responding to their complaint about God rescuing those whom they maybe don't want in their flock. He's laying this before them and saying, which one of you would not do this? So that is the call to them and that is the call to us. Of if we are one of those 99, and I think it's seasonal, I think we all have times where we're feeling really good about where we are in our relationship with Christ. And I think there can be times where we're feeling a little lost and we need Jesus or we need someone else in the flock to come and find us. But if we're in one of those seasons of our life where we feel safe in God's presence, where we feel found, if we know that we are in a good community, then we need to go and find the lost. But more than that, we need to rejoice. How much do we actually rejoice when someone is found? Or someone who has wandered away for a while is returned? If we start a new relationship with someone who's seeking but not there yet, and we know the path ahead might be a little bumpy, do we rejoice about getting to walk that road with them? Do we say, it might be hard, it might ask a lot of me, and I'm going to be out in the wilderness with them while I'm searching for them, but I'm going to rejoice because it is worth it to have even one more person be restored to the flock. Have one more person be brought into the community of God. Do we celebrate as community? That was one of the other beautiful pictures one of the commentaries this week talked about. Is these flocks were a flock this big, unless it was a very wealthy person, was likely owned by the community. There are different families who would have sheep in that flock, and there would be one shepherd who they would hire to watch them all. So when one of those sheep gets lost, it is the entire community that suffers. And when that one sheep is returned, the whole community is safer and better for it. Do we look at our community that way? When we look at those who don't yet know God, do we see them as someone who is vital and necessary for our survival, for our well-being, that we need to find and bring back so that we can be better? Do we see them as necessary for us to be whole? 
Because if we do, I think that rejoicing gets a little easier. If we just see ourselves as already kind of full, and anything else is just a bonus, that's good, but not necessary. But if we realize we are lacking, there are spaces in our churches that are waiting to be filled. And God has invited us to be the ones to go out and find people to fill those spots. And boy, is it a celebration when we find one of them. And it's a community-wide celebration because the whole church, the whole community, now gets to benefit from what that person brings, from the gifts that God has given them. But it's scary. It's hard work. But that's why we come to the table. Because we know that even if we are going out searching, there is nowhere that we ourselves can go that God himself can't find us. We are never outside of his care. So even though he sends us out, he goes with us. There is nowhere we go that God hasn't first journeyed. Ken Bailey quotes uh, Jeremiah in his commentary on this. And he says, To understand what Jesus was doing in eating with sinners, it is important to realize that in the East, even today, to invite a man to a meal was an honor. It was an offer of peace, trust, brotherhood, and forgiveness. In short, sharing a table meant sharing life. Thus, Jesus' meals with the publicans and sinners are an expression of the mission and message of Jesus. Eschatological meals, anticipatory celebrations of the feast in the end time, in which the community of saints is already being represented. The inclusion of sinners in the community of salvation achieved in table fellowship is the most meaningful expression of the message of the redeeming love of God. So we come to this table regularly to celebrate. Each one of us who has been found. Each one of us who is answering the call to go out seeking others. And to wait in anticipation of the day that those who are lost will join us at this table. Because we also know that the host of this table is Jesus. So that anything we receive here will give us all of the provision we need for every step of this journey that God calls us to. So let's come to this table.
So this morning, we give thanks to God the Father that our Savior Jesus Christ, before he suffered, gave us this memorial of his sacrifice until he comes again. At his last supper, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim together the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim together our faith as signed and sealed in this sacrament. I invite you to repeat after me. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let's pray. Lord our God, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit so that this bread and cup may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we and all your saints be united with Christ and remain faithful in hope and love. Gather your whole church, O Lord, into the glory of your kingdom. Amen. I invite those who are serving.